This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Heading into the weekend, everybody. I hope you're ready to have a great weekend. Great to be together. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up there for the daily email, as well as to go ahead and get... um, uh, the uh, and, and view the great um, links that are there, all these great interviews, some great interviews this week. Well, I have had a number of times people asking me in the last few weeks to replay the Larry Elder interview because Larry Elder in the interview talks about his policy positions. So I'm doing that. You're going to hear it. It's uh, two segments coming up in just a few moments. It was it was recorded about uh, three weeks ago. It's an excellent summation, excellent summary of his positions. Also, some context for him. He is uh, certainly a tour de force. And I I heard someone describe that Larry Elder has probably done more for race relationship race relations than anyone in decades, maybe ever. Why? Because he's a black man who's lived an exemplary life he's running for governor of one of the largest one of the largest economies in the world obviously one of the great american states and nobody's talking about him being black in fact they're actually talking about being white white supremacist or something he's actually shattering the boundary the ba- the boundaries of these things and he could be the first african american uh, governor of california which just lo- i just love it because you know the, the left is the democrats supposed to be the ones that are so great on issues yeah good luck I mean, good luck. Here it comes. Anyway, so let's just, but let, I, before we get to um, those interviews, I want to spend a few moments and talk about the historic moment and lay out the case for recall, the case for recall. Now, this is my sense of the moment we are in history, and I just want you to go back with me. In 2009, 2009 Barack Obama was sworn in as president. And after he was sworn in, he embarked on a very radical agenda. Obamacare was a part of that, although it didn't pass for over a year after he was sworn in. But also the stimulus, which was close to a trillion dollars, and, and you know nobody really knew what was in it, but it was a transfer of wealth for windmills and, uh, and unions. Every, all kinds of groups got money, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, what happened in that case in 2009, you remember it when I say it, we had seen the bailout of 2008 where all of Washington, all the swamp, including Obama and McCain, arrived in Washington. Remember, they went in like September, I think September, went and they, they heard from uh, uh, George W. Bush, we have to do this massive bailout of the banks and all that stuff. And they were, and everyone in America by 2009 was concerned about what had happened, more than concerned. They were agitated. And thus began the Tea Party. And across America, town hall meetings, people saying, what are we doing? Too much spending. What are we doing? Too many bailouts. The system looks broken. It, it looks rigged. People were agitated. You may remember it if you lived through it. They were upset. They were demanding change. That was 2009. That started happening in 2009. And Obama and his people didn't care. They were, you know, kind of, they were either smart enough, if you believed what they were doing was good, or callous enough. They just didn't care. They charged ahead. But what happened at the end of 2009 was it became clearer and clearer, like it is now, by the way, that the next election, the midterm, was going to be very difficult for the party in power to succeed. It was as a matter of policy, people, what they'd seen in policy, they just were looking at it saying this is the wrong direction. And then, late in 2009, Senator Ted Kennedy passed away. 
And when Senator Ted Kennedy passed away, there was announced a special election to replace him. They needed his vote to make sure to get the uh, Obamacare through and get everything done. And so they had a special election, and the election was, was had to be held in early February 2010. By that time, Obama's administration is in for just over a year, and in the weeks preceding that February election, I believe it was February 4th, you saw a massive number of Americans contribute to the races. There was the sitting attorney general, I believe her name was Martha Coakley, Democrat, and a sitting Democrat, excuse me, Republican state senator, Scott Brown. People sent money from all over the country. People made phone calls from all over the country. People moved to Massachusetts to knock doors all over the, from all over the country. And what galvanized was that the American people recognized this was the first chance to weigh in on what they think, at the time they thought, was the wrong direction for the country. And Scott Brown in Massachusetts won for senator, replacing Ted Kennedy. And he won on the strength of the voters of Massachusetts wanting to stop the direction of what was going on and all the people all across the country. It was extraordinary. It's almost hard to describe how extraordinary it was. It, it, it is, it, you know, as, as uh, Democrat as California is, Massachusetts is too. In fact, Massachusetts is smaller, obviously, and smaller numbers, obviously. It actually has a little bit more of a tradition of what I'd say are, you know, kind of uh, the, the um, union household Democrats, you know, the up in Boston and in, in the suburbs, these households that are pretty conservative, but they vote Democrat. And they were, that's a strong Democrat state, especially by 2009, uh, 2010. When that happened, by the way, Scott Brown tried to run for re-election, didn't win because he's beat by uh, a uh, Pocahontas, Elizabeth Warren. So it wasn't like it, it did. It reverted back to its form pretty quickly. It has two two Democrat senators now. I'm not even sure it has any Republican uh, uh, con- uh, congressional members. So here's my point. September 14th is the date 2021, where America can look up and say, um, yeah, we reject the direction of the country. We reject Joe Biden and his failed policies as well as his failed leadership. And we recognize a guy like Gavin Newsom, who is, you know, in in cahoots and, and running buddies with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. We see him and his incompetence. Let me be clear. I think he's been really incompetent. I'm not a California uh, citizen, so I don't have a vote. But he's looked really incompetent. Hasn't solved the, 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 the California's burning problem. Hasn't solved the energy problem in California. Hasn't solved the, the problem of the, uh, of the uh, uh, mismanagement of forests. So we have fires everywhere. You've got uh, homelessness that's exploded. You've got a regulatory framework that's too burdensome. I mean, what has he done? What's he succeeded at? Has he got schools issues? I mean, it's a disaster. But more importantly, not more importantly, but let me, what I'm pointing towards, he also has become the embodiment of the direction of the country under these Democrats. And there are literally tens of millions of Democrats across the country who are looking at Joe Biden and saying, whoa, I, I didn't want Trump, but I don't want this. And there are thousands of elected officials in office, Democrats, who are saying, holy cow, we might not win the next election for the next two or three or four years. This is getting so bad. And so what you're going to see on September 14th, and my case for the recall, is it's an expression of the fact that the Democrats like Newsom, who claim to be, 
you know, good managers. He was a mayor before he became governor. He was, I think, was he lieutenant governor too? He's a manager. He knows how things work. Joe Biden was 50 years in government, 40 plus as a senator, and then eight as a vice. He knows how to work things. None of these outsiders that are going to be too disruptive and not understand how things work. No, no, we'll take care of this. Well, taking care of it looks like a disaster. And that's what the country is doing. I have not seen reports. I think it's too tight. The timeline's too tight. But I will not be surprised if after this recall, the the campaign finance reveals that thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, tens of thousands for sure, I bet, are sending money to Larry Elder and other Republicans in this race. But here's my point. The case for recall is based on the direction of the country. Do I think Larry Elder would be a better governor? Yeah. Do I think he's competent? He's a top flight lawyer before he became a talk show host at big law firms, the biggest law firm in, in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a national firm. He was there. I, I once let him tell the story. He was there. Justice Scalia was a young lawyer in that firm. I mean, he's a, he's a top notch lawyer, highly trained University of Michigan Law School, top law school, one of the top five or ten. So is he competent? Yeah. But more importantly, the direction of the country that these supposedly experienced government, you know, uh, trained bureaucrats like Gavin Newsom, insiders like Joe Biden, they're a disaster. So my encouragement to people is hit the recall, hit hit the recall and, and, and change it up, change the direction. Even if you vote for one, there's more, there's some liberals in that uh, recall. After you vote yes on recall, there's liberals in the, in the hopper, but the direction of the country, the country is hanging in the balance. And we need people who are willing to express their discomfort with the direction. And that's what I think you're going to see. All right. That means you're going to see the recall succeed. But let's sit back. In a moment, we'll come back from the break and we'll play these great interviews with Larry Elder and you'll get a sense of him. And again, you know, it's your vote. Figure it out for yourself. But that's the case for recall. And uh, we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I used to, I used to when I very first started out in radio uh, a couple of years ago, and this on the Salem Radio Network, Larry Elder would come on my show to keep me going. I think he was uh, very kind to me, and even more. I'm going to get to this in a minute. He wrote a book that was a really big deal for me in my life, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, a award-winning, successful radio host, he's decided it's time to step into uh, politics. And and is running in the recall election. Welcome, Larry. How are you? Ed, thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. I've been a, a professional politician now for all of two weeks, so give me a break. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're all swamped up. You're covered in swamp. Now that's, but that's the best question, Larry. You're a well-adjusted human being by most accounts. People that know you <laughs> say you have fun. You live like a normal person. You have a lot of opinions. You're all this. Why are you doing this? You know, at first when I was approached by people I respect, like Dennis Prager, uh, my colleague at Salem, uh, by people like a woman named Jenny Sand, who's a local activist, uh, she kept writing me and writing me and writing me and sending me all sorts of stuff on, on how I could get elected and why I should get elected. And I kept ignoring all of this. I have a friend named Pastor Jack Hibbs, my pastor. He made the same argument. Another longtime friend named Lionel Chetwin, he's a longtime filmmaker. They all approached me different times, and they all urged me to run. And each time I pushed back. And then I thought what I would do, Ed, is ask normal people. I asked my barber, <laughs> I asked the, the grocer, I asked the person where I take my laundry. And I kept waiting for somebody to say, what you just now said, are you nuts? You have a good life. Uh, you're making some money. Uh, you're not having your personal life exposed as you would in the politics. What are you thinking about? Nobody said that. 
And most people right. said, right. You know, why, why not you? You're from California. You've been talking about these issues for 27 years. You're known up and down the state. I'm on in every major market uh, in California, from Sacramento down to San Diego. I've been writing about these issues. I'm a syndicated columnist. My column is carried in the largest newspaper in the Valley, LA Daily News. It's carried in the Orange County Register. If not you, who? If not now, when? And little by little, I began to think that way. And so now I'm in this thing to win it. But I never, ever, ever thought I'd be going into politics. The last time I ran for anything was fifth grade class president. Uh, and, I, and I took three out of four <laughs> roles. They're still cleaning up the blood. It was a, it was a landslide. <laughs> but, uh, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and when people tell me, well, Larry, what, 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 do you, what do you bring to the table? Well, you never run for it. You never had any political experience. And I go, yeah. And the guy right now, Gavin Newsom, he's been governor for two years. We have rising crime, rising homelessness. Uh, he shut down the state in a more severe way than any of the other 49 governors did while flouting the very mandates that he imposed, sitting at that famous French laundry restaurant with the very people that pushed that put together the mandates, not wearing masks, not socially distancing, having his own uh, uh, children enjoying in-person private education, exempting his own um, uh, business from the uh, from the mandates. And I look at the rising outrageous cost of living. The average price of a home in California is $800,000, 150% more than the average price of a home in America. And one of the frequent guests I have on my radio show, you probably heard him, his name is Leo Haney, and he's a professor at UCLA. He says the average price of a home yep. in California is 50% more than it would be but for rules and, and regulations uh, that jack up the price of homes. So I started looking at all these things, homelessness and crime, uh, and the declining quality of public education for crying out loud, 75% of black boys in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency, and those levels are not high. Nearly 50% of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to a high school called Crenshaw High School. If you saw the movie Boys in the Hood, that's my high school. Only 2% of kids at Crenshaw are math proficient. 2%. Now, who sends their kid to a school where only 2% of kids are math proficient if they have an option out? The teachers' union opposes choice. That's one of the big things that will happen if and when I'm lucky enough to become governor. I support choice. The money should follow the child rather than the other way around. So parents can determine whether they want to send their kid to a public school or a charter school or a religious school or a private school. So for all those reasons, I decided to run. We're talking with Larry Elder again, uh, the great Larry Elder, radio host before he became a politician just days ago, so don't hold that against him. Uh, Larry, I want to pause. <laughs> you mentioned you went to Crenshaw, Crenshaw High School, and you're, right. you're, and you're a self-made guy. Now, I want to tell people, because one of the most important things about our friendship, I'd say, is you told me about a book that you wrote, and the, and the book is out, uh, two different versions, a lot like me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation, about your dad and how, right. he, how he worked and who he was and how you reconciled. And I've heard you talk about families and, and, and all. Larry, and it meant so much to me because I have sons now and I have daughters also, and I've, I, learned, I, I learned about myself through it. But Larry, there's so much broken in the country and in California. So many people have been taught wrong or, or been cooped up. I mean, it, it, one of the things I think that's powerful about you running is not just that you're not a politician, but kind of the man you are and, and, and what your dad taught you and how, how your life turned out. And in some ways, people just need hope. They need to actually believe right. it can be better and somebody can do it. Absolutely. My father, 
uh, and I did not get along. That's what the book is all about. I thought my father was mean and, and cruel and spanked us too often and too harshly. And unfortunately, the SOB started a little cafe when I'm 10 years old, so now I've got to work for him. So I'm working for him <laughs> for five years, and he's yelling at me and screaming at me in front of people. It's a little diner. When I say restaurant, it sounds like some highfalutin thing. It's not. It's a little diner. Uh, it served uh, breakfasts and lunches. And everybody can see everything going on in the restaurant. And I'm 15 years old, and my dad yelled at me. And for the first time, I decided to, decided to defy him. And I literally walked out of the restaurant, full of, uh, of, of, of patrons. The, the waitress had called in sick. So my dad had to deal with all these people by himself. He came home, and Ed, he was steamed. And he said, why did you leave? And I said, Dad, I got sick and tired of the way you spoke to me, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. Now, that was an act of defiance that my father had never seen. He paid me $10 a day plus tips. He threw it at me as I lay on the bed. He walked out of my bedroom, and we did not have another conversation for 10 years. And when I say not another conversation, wow. I mean not even, do you think it's going to rain? How about those Dodgers? What about the Rams? Nothing. Now, I'm 25 years old. And I just uh, uh, finished uh, law school. I passed the California bar, the Ohio bar. I'm at a big law firm in Cleveland, Ohio, making a great deal of money. I was 25 years old, making the equivalent of around 150K. And I couldn't sleep, Ed. And I knew it had to do with my father. Not that I ever thought we'd become friends or anything or, or, or that I even wanted a relationship with him. But I wanted to be able to sleep, and I knew that was on my mind. So I called my secretary and I said, cancel all my appointments. I'm flying to L.A., and I'm going to uh, be back in three or four days. I didn't tell my parents I was coming because I didn't want my father to prepare. I went from the airport uh -huh. LAX direct, directly to the restaurant. I walk in at 1.30. They close at 2.30. I had a bag with me. My dad was shocked to see me. He says, I put your bag in the back? I said, no, Dad. I'm only going to be here for five or ten minutes. I want to tell you something. And I intended to tell him what, a, what an SOB I thought he was, and I figured he'd call me an ungrateful son. Then maybe I'd be able to sleep. So my dad and I sat down, <laughs> and we had an eight-hour conversation. And the man told me about his life, and I knew nothing about his life because I didn't give a damn. And for the first time, I saw my father cry. And my father said, you know your last name, Elder? I said, yes. He said, that's not the name of my father. I said, what? Who's Elder? He said, he's the name of some guy that lived in my life the longest. He said, my mother had a series of irresponsible men. She lived off them. Uh, he never met his biological father. And as my dad was telling me this, he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller. I, my dad said she threw him out of the house when he was 13 years old, never to return because he was quarreling with his mom's then boyfriend. And I said, Dad, what, what, what did you do? And for the next eight hours, Ed, he told me about his life, joined the Marines, became a Pullman porter on the trains came to California on a run, and he was shocked. You could walk into a restaurant in the front door and be served, and this is before the war. And so he made a mental note, maybe someday I'll relocate to L.A., and the war is over. Uh, he met it, married my mom in Chattanooga. He couldn't get a job as a, as a cook. They told him we don't hire N-words. He came to California, and they wouldn't hire him either. They said he had no references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. So he took two jobs cleaning <laughs> toilets. Uh, and believe it or not, on his income, uh, two jobs, he had a stay-at-home wife, my mother, uh, and she stayed at home until the last of us was in middle school. He was able to buy a home in South Central Los Angeles, which right now is still in the family. It's worth $600,000. Uh, somebody working wow. three jobs as an eighth-grade dropout could not duplicate what my dad did because the cost of living has gone so high in California. That's one of the reasons I'm running. But my dad... 
uh, always told my brothers and me the following, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You cannot control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you moan and groan about what somebody did to you or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and say to yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he always told my brothers and me, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you deal with those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. If anybody had a reason to blame America and call America systemically racist, it's my father. He never felt that way at all. My Republican dad always said this about the Democratic Party, by the way. Democrats believe, Democrats want to give you something for nothing. And when you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Work hard. <laughs> take advantage of available opportunities, he told my brothers and me. And that's what I've always tried to do. We're talking again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we're talking with Larry Elder. And by the way, the book, he's talked about this. It's an extraordinary book. I think I read it in one sitting. It's called A Lot Like Me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation. And as he mentioned, it's a conversation went on for eight hours about his father who'd been estranged with. It is extraordinary. Um, Larry, when people listen to you like that, and on your radio show, of course, Larry Elder's uh, radio show is rightly famous now. I, I said there, in Lake Little Shotley, for whom I worked, she had a, a, a sort of um, a happy warrior mentality, right? A lot is wrong. A lot is wrong. We got a lot of things wrong. And yet you come at it with a sort of happy warrior, a joyful feel. How do you hold that? Because you've had stuff happen in your life. You've had life happen and you wonder, how do you keep that joy? What's at the heart of it? It's, 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 it's not difficult. I mean, my goodness, we were born in America. We hit the lottery when we were born in America and to be born with two good parents who are hardworking and wanted us to invest in ourselves and realize our potential. I'm beyond blessed. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. And by the way, I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar, electelder.com, electelder.com, because my opponent can raise and spend an unlimited amount of money. I have spending limitations. But the reason I'm running is because of hope and optimism. Uh, in California, uh, we've got all these brainiacs in Silicon Valley. We have a body of water known as the Pacific Ocean, yet we're not building desalination plants. Uh, Israel and Dubai, for crying out loud, have become self-sufficient by building desalination plants. We're not doing that here in California. Uh, we have rolling brownouts because of energy shortages, water shortages, because we've not really added to our infrastructure in almost 40 years. What have people been doing? Instead of uh, telling people to to conserve on water, we ought to be talking about water abundance and how we can store water underground uh, instead of half of it going off into the Pacific Ocean when we do have rainy seasons. So we ought to be looking to hope, looking to future, looking to innovate ourselves out of our problems. And that's what I'm going to strive for if I'm lucky enough to become the next governor of California. Well, and again, we're talking with Larry Elder. And uh, again, I'll put it up there in social media, too. Uh, it is electelder.com is the website. To learn more about Larry, sign up for his uh, emails and also throw some uh, throw some Point out the governor is allowed to raise as much money as he wants. Candidates like Larry Elder are limited. Um, but Larry, um, you the the people I've talked to who talk about this, they say in California there's tens of millions of conservatives and common sense thinkers. Right? They may have been Democrats in the past. They might be Republicans. Might even libertarians. Or might be nothing. But they're saying to themselves, this system. This system we're in, where we give people you know, money, Newsom gives money out right before an election, and all this kind of stuff, it's a bad system, right? So how, what is it that you can, what do you think, you know, the first day you're governor, maybe you can't do this, first day you're governor, what's the first thing you're thinking you got to do? First thing I'm going to do is declare a statewide emergency on homelessness. One of the reasons why we have homelessness is because of the high cost of living in California. Uh, we don't have low-cost apartments, low-cost housing, because of a law called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, which, by the way, is waived for billionaires like 
uh, the man that built the, Siac- the Sacramento King Stadium. Somehow, some way, uh, the environmental concerns were waived when they want to, uh, but they don't waive them when regular developers want to build homes. Uh, and I want to get some of these people off the streets. And uh, this is something that churches and, and religious organizations should do. Government can't do it. Uh, and um, uh, many of them are mentally ill, uh, and some of them are schizophrenic, meaning of danger to themselves or to others. And they need to be physically removed from the streets and housed in mental institutions for their protection and for the protection of the rest of the homeless population. But if and when I'm able to do all of this, you still have the problem of the lack of affordable housing. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to suspend CEQA uh, as one of the first acts of my being, uh, my being uh, a governor. I that's a great boy. That's about, a, the, about the declining right. quality of public schools in California. Seventy-five percent of black boys cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I kid you not. And those levels are not high. Uh, and as I mentioned, fifty percent of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. The teachers' union is the largest funder of my opponent, Gavin Newsom. They just gave him one point eight million dollars, by the way. Uh, and they are adamantly opposed to school choice because the teachers are not members of the union and they don't get those automatic union dues. But when you look around the country and you ask. Where, the, where teachers send their own school-age kids. Overwhelmingly, they send their own school-age kids to private schools, where only 10% of families with no public school teachers send their kids to private schools, and 6% of black families do. Now, these are the people that know the school system the best, and not, they're not sending their own school-age kids to those schools. That's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, Ed, hanging up a sign outside saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. Yeah, it's uh, it is crazy, and 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 um, well, those are those are great, uh, Larry. I'm talking, by the way, with Larry Elder. And again, please go visit electelder.com. Electelder.com. Larry Elder is running uh, for in the recall. Um, Larry, about the recall. I don't know if I got this right. Is is is, is the election going to be all mail-in ballots, or are they just going to mail ballots? But you can also vote in person. Well, you, you can go in person, but they're going to send ballots to every single eligible voter. Uh, and you have the option of voting mail-in or have the option of going in physically uh, and voting. But my suspicion is most people are going to respond by mail-in. And by the way, the ballots go out on August the 14th, even though the election is September the 14th. By the time September the 14th rolls around, it's almost going to be anticlimactic. Um, and that's right. one of the reasons I need, I need so much money. Uh, and that's, you know, we, you need to run ads up and down the state in California TV and print ads. Uh, but it's a, it's a two-step deal. It's very simple. The ballot says, do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? If 50% plus one says yes, the next, next part of it is, who do you want to replace him? Now, we won't know whether or not 50% plus one said yes until the state uh, Secretary of State certifies the election. But on that ballot, it's very simple. Do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? Who should replace him? If 50% plus one voter recalls him, whoever gets the greatest number of votes to replace him will become the next governor of California. And right now, I am substantially ahead of my Republican rivals, although I will support anybody over Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Electelder.com is the website. Larry, how do you, how do you envision protecting uh, from voter fraud? I mean, it's almost at this point, Democrats are scared of how badly Biden is doing in the White House, how badly yeah. Gavin Newsom's doing. Yeah. How, what's your, what, is your, what are you going to do to stop the voter fraud? Can you? Good, go good lawyers. Good lawyers. And remember, uh, I don't know if you know that they tried to keep me off the ballot when I first uh, announced they, they, there's a law that requires you to turn yeah. over five years of your tax returns. You have to turn over two, two sets of two copies identical. And I will admit there was a screw up on our part. We turned in 150 pages and 143 pages. Don't ask me why seven pages were missing. But you, they had all seven pages in the first set. They could have easily corrected it. The Secretary of State decided not to. And so my name was off the ballot. So we had to sue them. Uh, it went all the way up to 
to uh, to a judge, and the judge within 15 minutes said, A, the law doesn't even apply to recall elections, and B, Mr. Eldridge substantially complied, and as a result, I was put on the ballot. I told my lawyer, who's brilliant, uh, my cousin Vinny could win this could win this case. He said, okay, go hire, go hire my cousin Vinny and see what happens. I said, okay, okay, I take it back, I take it back. <laughs> Uh, so you think so you're there, but you, I guess what can people do other than go to uh, electelder.com and give you some money because you got to hire the lawyers? I mean, is that the best at this point? The best thing? I mean, I hate to say it, but we, you probably have to win by more than they can steal, and maybe that's going to happen because we're worried about everybody. Everybody I talk to is worried about that the California election because it's mail in a lot of it. They're just going to run the numbers the way they want. Well, all I know is this. There was a ballot initiative called uh, Proposition 16, uh, which would re- repeal another ballot initiative that said you cannot use race as a factor in college admissions, uh, in contracting, uh, and in uh, in hiring for state jobs. Uh, the no side that says we don't want race used, we want this to be a colorblind deal, was outspent 20 to one, and they still won, despite allegations uh, that there might be election fraud. So I think that common sense will prevail. Uh, the, the rising crime has no color. Uh, rising homelessness has no color. The outrageous cost of living has no color. The way this man shut down this uh, this state while ignoring the science has no color. And I think there are going to be a whole bunch of men and women, many of whom are Democrats and independents, that are going to vote to throw this guy out, whether or not there might be voter fraud or not. I think there'll be so many people that, that any kind of shenanigans will be overcome. Do you think, Larry, the last line of questions here, again, we're talking with Larry Elder. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Larry, do you think that the... Um, You've been around politics a long time, and you're a, you, you're a big-time lawyer at a big firm. Is this the worst we've been in terms of American politicians, both parties, in a way? Um, or, or is it ebbing and flowing? I mean, do you feel like, again, you're a joyful warrior. You're a guy that doesn't get down. At least uh, sometimes you get angry, but you don't get down. Are we at right. the bottom in, in terms of the, the, the quality and the caliber of these people in office? Well, when after the election of the first black president and the re-election of this black president, despite presiding over the worst economic recovery since 1949, I thought this business of systemic racism was dead. It is not. And that's because the Democrats know that Donald Trump increased the percentage of black vote from 8% in 2016 to 12 to 20% in 2020. That's a 50% increase. It gets to about 15%, 17%, and Democrats know that they are toast. So they're doubling down on calling uh, white people oppressors and calling black people victims. They're doubling down on crap like like uh, critical race theory and reparations, doubling down on, re- on referring to police officers, despite evidence to the contrary, that they're engaging in systemic racism against black people and are using a, a disproportionate force against black people. As I said, even though study after study after study shows, if anything, the police are more reluctant, more hesitant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. I've never seen this before. So we're at an inflection point, I really do believe. It is amazing. All right, Larry Elder, thank you uh, for your time. As always, electelder.com is the website. Go there, sign up so you get on his emails, but also give him a a few shekels so he gets uh, moving and watch these next two months. But remember, August 14th, the California voters, you're going to be able to vote early. You can't wait. Uh, You shouldn't wait. You should get focused. So thanks, Larry, for everything. Good luck and God bless. We're praying for you. And we'll be talking more about the issues that you brought up. It's uh, very important. God bless, Ed. Thank you for, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder. Again, electelder.com. We'll put it up on social media, and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. There's a reason why politics is a dirty word for so many Americans. When you think about politics, your mind probably conjures up images of stuffed shirt politicians prattling off the same old dusty talking points that they've been using for years. For the most part, these talking points have little or no bearing on the reality that you or I live in every day. Sadly, this imagery is not too far from the truth in many cases. The many halls of bureaucracy are filled with swamp creatures who only seek power and attention, not the betterment of the American people. However, I'm here to tell you that those who are truly passionate about the future of our nation can and will win in the end. The key advantage that the truly passionate have over the stuffed shirts is that we live out the issues we talk about. If you're passionate about addressing our failing schools, that's probably the case because you have children or grandchildren in those schools. If you're passionate about securing our borders, it's probably because you have a genuine concern for the safety of your family, and rightly so. If you're passionate about protecting the unborn, it's because you have a deeply held reverence for God's greatest creation known as the human child. The biggest mistake passionate conservatives can make is to not talk about why they fight. That's what sets us apart from the swamp creatures. We don't have the luxury of living in some ivory tower where we can squabble for power and prestige. We're on the ground working and fighting for ourselves and our loved ones. Never underestimate the power of your story. Whether you're just starting out in the fight or you're a long hand in the battle, your story can make a difference in inspiring other people. This might seem elementary, but so many good people miss this critical means of making a difference. It will not be the same old talking points that lead us to victory. The undecided can smell stale talking points from a mile away. True conservative victory will come from brave men and women standing up and sharing how conservative policies change their lives for the better. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I hope you enjoyed that uh, Larry Elder interview. Now, let me uh, finish today uh, heading into the weekend. hope you have a great weekend. Again, it's Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, I'll put a piece up on uh, social media. I-, I just chuckled at this because the ability for the fake news, the mainstream media, big tech, to not um, t- to either lie to us, you know, fake us out, or just have no self-knowledge, it just makes you shake your head. So there's a piece on Politico, on the European Politico, And it says, fear looms over Afghanistan's internet. And it goes on to talk about the Taliban's taking over and Afghans fear the end of open access to the internet. It goes on censorship and reprisals. And here's why I'm what I'm talking about. You know who controls the internet? It's not whoever these groups in in the EU is. I mean, it's controlled by Facebook and by Twitter and by uh, Google and by Amazon. And if the one thing that we know about them now 
We can only describe, I can only describe with accuracy from my own experience. Maybe the Europeans have a different one, but we have a big tech community, a big tech uh, industry that is censoring conservatives or said better is censoring. They're just the opponents that they don't like based on their worldview, because right now, Donald Trump is still off of Twitter, still off of Facebook for the trumped up charge of having led an insurrection, which has now been the FBI said it was an insurrection. The Congress, members of Congress have said that. The courts have noticed that nobody's been charged with insurrection. Nobody's been charged with conspiracy for insurrection. Nobody's been charged with any of those crimes. There's trespass and breaking windows, both of which should be punished. Just like if you go to the New York Giants football game and they lose by three touchdowns and a 1,000 fans leave of 65,000 fans and they act like idiots and break windows, yeah, arrest them. But don't pretend it's an insurrection. And yet, we know big tech is censoring we the people. We know that the, the government is working with big tech to do that. We know this. And so the idea that the Taliban is going to get in charge in Afghanistan and be a problem for Internet freedom, the reality is Internet freedom is a problem for everybody because it's not free. It's free if you're in the favored class. It's free if you're in the favored viewpoint. It's free if you're a, a, a friend of power in the, in the case of Democrats. But it's not free if you're conservative. It's not free if you have views that are counter to the mainstream uh, culture. You get one of these doctors who goes out and says, hey, I disagree with your assessment of COVID, how it's playing out. They'll be silenced within a minute. And, and, and that's Facebook deciding who's in charge. That's the Internet and Google and Twitter figuring out who gets to be uh, uh, noticed. Well, t- Google especially. Who gets to be noticed on the searches? The fact is, the, the idea that Politico and the EU are all, we're not sure about what's going to happen to internet freedom in, in Afghanistan. What about internet freedom in our nation? And by the way, what they really mean is internet freedom in Afghanistan means, uh, are you going to be controlled by the, the liberal ideology? Because if you're conservative or you're anything other than a liberal ideology, then it's an affront. I mean, the arrogance of this situation where the people with power are are not even hiding their condescension towards we the people and what we think. It's stunning. And one of the reasons why I actually, I don't think that the next couple of years are going to be simply a reversion to, oh, Trump's America first, we want that. I think people have decided, and they're deciding over and over now, that they see the, the rot in the capitals, especially in the swamp in America, and the rot in the incumbents, and they probably thought they saw the rot before. They probably thought that they probably, people, Americans probably thought, yeah, it's pretty rotten. But what they see and feel now, and especially feel, is the condescension of the ruling classes towards we the people. And they just can't stand it. And they've had a little taste of the energy of the Tea Party, uh, of the of the uh, you know 2016 effort of America First, and on the left, by the way, some of the progressives, hard, you know, the real progressives that are to the left of their party, they're energized too, but they realize they're getting shut out by the establishment on their in their in, the, in their wing of the party, of the party system. So it's going to be, but I, it just makes you shake your head. Internet freedom, freedom of the internet, freedom on social media. They're going to worry about the Taliban and Afghanistan. How about you worry about America and Europe? But you see, they don't think Internet freedom includes yours and my voices. They think it's only the voices that they prefer. And that's 
the heart of the problem. That's the heart of the problem. All right, we got to run, everybody. I want to wish you again a very happy weekend. Uh, happy, um, uh, yeah, have a good weekend. I will tell you that uh, my heart is heavy. I know I did this show today, but we keep praying for the people of Afghanistan, the people there, and especially for all the American um, men and women in the military and otherwise who are still getting their way out. So much tragedy and fear around that. It's just a terrible, terrible situation. And um, so we need to turn in prayer as we go towards our Sabbath. I hope you'll uh, remember to pray uh, for all those folks. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. I want to say thank you as always to Noah Dingley the great producer of this program Joanna for helping us book guests and again for you for listening please visit ProAmericaReport.com push it around promote it let people know what we're doing and uh, we will um, talk again next week it's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report talk to you then